Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? You know, it feels good to be back home. I was in the Midwest this past weekend. You've been on the road. Detroit, mm, Chicago, Minneapolis. It's good. good times. Yeah, you know what? We've been hacking away at those markets. Well, it was Detroit and Chicago specifically, and we uh, sold out both nights. Holy shit. Like club shows, but it was rammed and awesome. Still, when was the first time, for instance, you went to Chicago, let's say? Ooh, probably like 2010 or something. But like, it almost doesn't count if like the next time you went back is like 18 months later or something. (laughs) But in the last like three years, we've been, uh, I had a concerted effort to be like going back to those places. It's funny though, um, when it comes to our Kel shows outside of Canada, we're always very aware of like what the Canadian ratio is in the crowd. Like London, England, there's going to be Canadians there. New York City will be Canadians there. But places like Philadelphia don't really have that many Canadians. Detroit definitely has some Canadians. Do you think they'll travel down to catch the oh, show? Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. It's cheaper ticket. It's a bit of a <laughs> chance for a road trip. More intimate. More intimate. That's a better way of putting it. Um, and I was very happy, though, because the Chicago show was probably... I want to say like 85 to 90% Americans. Hey. So that felt really good. But the problem is there's still some f-ing Canadian yahoos at the show <laughs> who just insist on being so obnoxious. Like, for instance, one guy was just holding up, he was making a T sign with his hand and then like, and then the, the six sign. Oh, he's from Toronto. He's from, and he's wearing a Toronto hat <laughs> and, he, and like literally, and he was wasted and it, the whole show. And we played for like an hour and 40 minutes during a quiet song. Some guy at the back just started screaming. Like it was an acoustic song. Kena Bella! Kena Bella! I should be like, you're embarrassing everybody here. Okay, you're embarrassing yourself, and you're embarrassing the band, you're embarrassing our country. Stop that. I guess what I was getting at, though, is it's like, when you see the growth, does it feel... Do you feel like progress is happening quick enough down there? You know what? It feels like... And I'd say this is generally the case with the band is like the work we put in is the work we get out. And it's like, we spent a lot of time in Canada grinding away up here and like trying to build the band and us playing two sold out shows in Massey Hall is a result of like us grinding it here. It's also the result of some of the infrastructure that, that we have up here in Canada that we don't have in America. But it's like down there, it's like you got to almost work harder for it because there's so many more bands that are coming through Chicago or Minneapolis or Philadelphia like every day of the week and you got to put in the time and nobody has proven that more than Frank Turner to me because Frank Turner is a British guy and he uh and for our listeners you should go check out the interview you did with him uh one of our first podcasts two or three um but he since 2007 has been going to America and the first time he ever played there was probably to 25 people and then 50 people and he would sleep on people's couches and every promoter in America in every town probably has had Frank Turner sleep on his couch at one point <laughs> or another. I mean it. Yeah. And then a hundred people and then 400 people and then five. And now he's getting to the point where he's doing probably 4,000 tickets in Chicago, but it wasn't like he just showed up with a hot single and uh, a hot blonde single, no, a hot, <laughs> hot radio single and was, um, you know, taking over the town. It was a result of the work you put in. So for us, it's like, it was almost for me, like just as gratifying in a slightly different way to sell like 500 tickets into Detroit or Chicago than to sell 5,000 in Toronto, just because it's like, Oh, okay, this is good. Things are going in the right direction. Yeah. That felt really good. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and it's funny because Trump sort of derailed everything because we hadn't seen each other since you played Massey hall, two sold out nights. And Shane and I, we wanted to ask you a bunch of questions about Massey, what it felt like, all that. But then Trump gets elected on Tuesday. So the next time we see each other, we didn't even get to we talk about it. We were despondent. <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> a little despondent, yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, I want to know, how, like, how was it? 
It was, it was awesome. Um, for a very long time, playing in Toronto was always very nerve wracking to me because we always felt like the scrappy Hamilton band and Toronto in my mind, everybody in the crowd was a reviewer from now magazine sure. who was just going to like roll their eyes at us. And I think the expectations going to Massey Hall were really high. So I had them in the back of my head. I was like, don't think this is going to be the most magical thing. There's probably things that are going to go wrong. Temper your expectations. But, um, they were, the shows were incredible and like more than I could ask for. Like each, and each night was different. Um, each night was really special and like I really savored every moment. Moment it was awesome. What was better, night one or night two? You yeah, have to pick one. No, don't do the. I can't pick my children. Um, no, but you know what? I'd say Saturday night was more raucous. It felt like more of like a crazy Saturday night rock show. Friday night, I think, due to the nature of the set list and the way I was written, was a little more tempered. But playing at a venue like Massey Hall, those tempered moments actually maybe are more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Like we played, we've played for the first time ever, Passenger Seat, huh. which we had never played before live. But that song was like made to be performed in uh, in Massey Hall. It was funny though. Everybody was standing. That's the- what I was going to ask. Like, so every people stand because they're all seated. It's all you know. There's no pit. There's no general admission, right? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's seated. So everybody stands in their seat. But do people like go into the aisles and sort of like dance, or do they dance at their seat? Everybody was sort of dancing at their seat. All of Massey Hall up into the very last row was all standing, with the exception of my parents and my <laughs> uncle and his girlfriend who were who who we put dead center in the first row in the balcony. The eye line? Yeah, right in the eye line. Because and they're literally the best seats in the house. It was like the first balcony, first row. So if they if we if I had put them anywhere else, they would have had to stand up because they, their view would have been blocked. But because they had the best seats, they didn't stand up. And I kind of was like, guys, come on. Everybody else is doing it. I know you're old, but come on, come on, stand up. But they had they had a great time. They yeah. go to both nights? Uh they just went to uh, Saturday. No, they went to Friday night. Right. Lauren came Saturday night. Oh, Lauren and my, and my sister. One. Yeah, came on Saturday. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So, did all the girlfriends and wives show up for this one? Yeah, everybody was there. A lot of family members were there. It was great. Actually, the most exciting thing for me, though, uh, and I wish Shane were here for this, but I've been really trying to be health conscious. Like even in the last like year, just like trying to improve my diet. It, diet's something I just just never thought about ever, mm. and. Probably because of my disposition, I'd like look at a recent photo. Like if someone just took a photo of me, I'd be like, that looks pretty good. Does the trick and carry on with my day. (laughs) Like, and I think, but then if I've ever seen a photo of myself from like six months ago, I'm like, oh God, come on. I was disappointed (laughs) with myself. But in the moment, I'm always kind of fine with it. Yeah. Um, But the more I think the Instagram generation has taken over and the more maybe responsibility I feel to be like, a good looking lead singer. Sure. I've, I've been more conscious of like eating right and getting some exercise. The Chris Martin deal. Yeah, exactly. And also our, I feel like our show has been more active. Like, and I want to be more good, physical, more physical. It really has. And, um, so I want to be respectful of that. Uh, and I'm not getting any younger either. So I need to, to I'm competing against a bunch of like hunky 22 year old lead singers. Right. Totally. So, uh, the exciting thing though was, so I'd been, oh, by the way, uh, shout out to Ashley, our manager. Um, she's great. She listens to the show oh. and she's sort of like the, the max whisperer. Oh yeah. She, she like from about a year ago, she's such a pleasant person and, uh, she's like full of like good energy. She can kind of get away with saying anything. So she'd be like, so max, are we going to be skinny for that photo shoot we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, I guess I am going to be skinny <laughs> for that photo shoot. And then she'll be like, Max, 
no eating until after festival season. I'd be like, I guess I can't eat until after festival season. So Ashley has been sort of like the max whisperer. And, and, but as a result, Lauren has been very happy with the results. Lauren's like, you've never looked better. So I'm happy. With you that. were very thin. I feel like people comment on this all the time. Not very thin, just like healthy. You feel healthy. I feel healthy and more. And it's literally the difference between like two things. It's literally two things going into like a truck stop and getting like an awesome slice of pizza every goddamn time, which is probably what I used to do. And also going to a truck stop and going, I could probably go for some chocolate and gummy bears. Cause I have such a sweet tooth. If you just don't do that every time, then you can have some benefits. So what are we talking like once a week now? Yeah. I just like, and it's like, you know, I had tacos today and like whatever it's like, and I had pizza on Sunday. It's not like I'm not eating. It's just like, I like to eat out. I love to eat out. And I've just found that if you can go have the experience of eating out, but then find like a slightly healthier option. Like for instance, when we first started touring, Panera bread wasn't a thing, but now Panera bread is available at every exit on the highway in America. What's the deal with Panera bread? Panera bread has like awesome salads, like really like delicious salads. And I'm, and like, obviously it's not as good as like a burger, but <laughs> when you're sitting in a van for the preceding uh, five hours, you just feel better about it. Sure. So it's like, if you're able to think a little bit more long-term, it's better. But anyway, there, I'm getting all this because I'd been really healthy for like the two weeks leading up to Massey Hill. And I just had Saturday night circle is like, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> and so Lauren and I got drunk together after the show and we, what was there an after party? I was going to get was a, There was an after Both party. nights? Um, more, more on Saturday. I had to kind of keep, keep, keep together on Friday. Was there like, did you have a venue? Well, like we, it was like the basement bar at Massey Hall. Yeah. Okay. I've been, there's a yeah. piano down there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Piano, so it was an old, old school bar. So, so that was the after party. That was the after party. But then open Frank, bar. Uh, no, not a bar, you cheap bastard. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Frank Turner, who opened the shows, uh, he was DJing at uh, the, some bar on Queen West. I forgot what it was called. And so I went to go see him and I was like having a night. Yeah. And, then, and it was also the daylight savings night. So the, so we got more time at the bar or whatever that was a daylight. Savings? Yeah. You get an extra hour. An extra after hour last bar, call. Which is kind of cool. So we, Lauren and I end up leaving on our way back to the hotel. I order a large pizza. Love it. And then I was like, Lauren, we got 45 minutes to kill. And there's a 7-Eleven. And I bought $20 worth of chips, <laughs> uh, penny candy, like gummy bears and chocolate. And we basically ate all of it before the pizza came. <laughs> like they went $20 worth of like it's a lot of candy. junk food. And then we ate all the pizza. And you had all the pizza. Like, there wasn't a slice left. I love it. So it was, it was amazing. Do you want to get to Dragonette? Let's do it. All right. Today on the show, Maxi Boy, we got Dragonette. Yeah. I've actually come across uh, Dragonette at various Canadian music biz events. Really nice, nice people. Super nice. And but in their press release, they they mentioned that uh, there was a split, not they, professionally. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because uh, yeah, when you sent the questions for prep, like you know they say so for listeners when someone's coming in and they're sort of doing the car wash as we call it, and they're doing the rounds for all the different channels we have here at Two Nine Nine Queen Street West, um, we'll get usually some music, like an album preview. We'll get like a press release. We'll get like a bio so that we can do our research um, sort of on the surface. And then we like to dig a little deeper. But in their press release, they'd mentioned that um, Dan and Martina had broken up. And I thought that was an odd thing to mention because it's like, in some ways, like you're inviting an interviewer to ask about that. Whereas normally I, pr- I normally wouldn't ask or delve into, you know, people's relationships, especially within a band. But I guess it is such a part of their story um, that when I did end up asking it, it was interesting, you know. I, yeah. Well, what was their reaction in the room? How did it feel? 
Well, just before I'd asked about that, we talked about social media and them saying that, you know, it's not really their thing to post a lot on Instagram or, you know, they're sort of adjusting to that part of being in a pop band. And when I ended up getting the question about them breaking up, um, I thought one, it was interesting that they put in the press release, especially for people saying, oh, you know, we don't share a ton about our stuff on social media and all that stuff. And they just said, you know, it was such a big part of the story. It'd be weird not to talk about it, especially if somebody were to talk about our relationship and like, oh, so, you know, is it weird being in a band with, you know, your husband or wife, boyfriend, uh-huh. girlfriend? And then they have to be like, oh, actually we broke up. Like to avoid the awkwardness of uh-huh. either not giving an answer or being uncomfortable. It's just like, let's just get it out in the open. Yeah. And so then when I asked, the question specifically was, you know, did you guys ever think of maybe disbanding or dissolving the band when a breakup like that happens? Because, you know, I mean, that's hard to do when you're not in a band or in a business or you work together or you create together. And it was interesting in the room, you know, it was kind of like, they were, anyway, very thoughtful answer. And I felt like Martina and Joel were a little more light, uh, not light, but basically, no, you know, like press on. We built this amazing yeah, thing. Yeah, kept it positive. And Dan, I felt, dug a little deeper and he was like, no, I, of course we thought about it. You know, uh-huh. this is, my life was one way and I won't obviously give you the whole answer because you got to listen to the interview. Mm-hmm. So there, there's uh, something to look out for. You know what's interesting is that a lot, I feel like a lot of big American pop stars like would put that like celebrity dating is such like a big part of like the story when anybody puts out an album in America, like especially like Taylor Swift, like every time she puts out a new record, so much of the narrative is like, Oh, is this song about John Mayer? Is this song about Harry Styles? Is like, and, and there's definitely an element where you feel like it's being played up like a lot because it's such a good marketing angle. Yeah. And it's a way to get people talking about their album in this particular case though. It didn't like at first I was like, Oh, are they trying to do like this sort of like Taylor Swift, like, tabloid style are they or are they not or is this song about them but it's like it seemed like they're just doing it a, a canadian politeness <laughs> do you know what i mean it's <laughs> such an interesting observation yeah like i mean it, it was reflected i think in the making of this record yeah. and you know it's it, it is a part of the story but you nailed it it almost feels like it was like well you know it's like it could be awkward down the road so we might as well just get it out yeah we don't want to put anybody in an uncomfortable position in the interview room who thinks that we're still dating as opposed to exploiting it yeah as supposed to be like for guys headlines. check it out this is the big record where you know martina talks about dumping dan or whatever I don't know if that's how it went down or however it happened, but I'm saying yeah. like, that's not what happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. You want to get to dragon? Let's get to it. went down last night yeah were you, were you guys watching any of that oh yeah <laughs> we were uh, who was a show oh really yeah like during sort of the heart of it or yeah, yeah. like 10 something or other i had when it was the, getting scary just as it was just yeah it becoming reality yeah yeah i uh, do you guys follow that stuff regularly sadly um, yeah. yeah yeah um i mean this year more so than any other time it's been pretty yeah. riveting and yeah pretty exceptional yeah I, what are your thoughts, first of all, on, on him winning last night? For our listeners, we're talking about Trump. This will probably air in a week, but last night, Trump won uh, the president uh, the presidency of the United States of America. Uh, I think, it's, I, I don't know, I, I, I feel kind of shocked and a bit petrified. But and I just, I think I'm, I'm praying that all of that, that, all the shit he was saying was just like rhetoric and 
saber marketing plan saber wielding as opposed to actual plans just what if, when you look back at what he was actually saying about like repealing the, the Paris climate uh, whatever the word is I'm looking for treaty, <laughs> treaty. Right. Um, and like abortion laws and gay marriage and all that stuff it's like what will what what will actually happen if mm-hmm. that if if that goes down like I don't know. The uh, on the other hand, I'm trying to find a silver lining in it. But what um, what is clear is that country is literally divided down the middle about how to move forward. And if the uh, the only the all, but it seems like all the checks and balances that could institutionally like protect that mandate. Um, are also out the window in that both Congress and Senate are Republican. And the the challenge, I think, is that it's um, even though within those groups, uh, within the Republican Party, that there's a lot of dissension amongst them, that they still manage to... Uh, I think they have... It's going to be very difficult for independent thinking within the party because of the mandate that they've been handed and also to some degree I think the revenge that they want to uh, that that they the anger they're expressing well and it, like but also just wanting to undo the uh, the work of the previous president not for the for the merits of what he has done and what but simply because it was an Obama era um, policy which most and most of his policies that were put in were um, he had to push through with a presidential mandate as opposed to having support in Congress. And so it's really easy to um, to ascribe like all of these, uh, whatever are the Obama laws, to one you know crazy guy who decided to to uh, to push through his, his unique agenda, agenda yeah. for yeah. America. And so that it's the the American system is supposed to um, maintain balanced government, but we've seen that that didn't happen in the past because of how partisan it is, and and the only thing we can hope for is that somewhere within those Republicans who are in Congress that there is some measure of balanced thinking. Right. I I, I can't remember what the context was, but I think it was I don't know somebody's. This is my like positive uh, thinking mantra right now is that we're. We're we're going forward in a we're like we're progressing and we're progressive, um, but the line to uh, to to where we want to end up is is not straight, and this is like a, this is like part of the crooked line. But we 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 go forward, and we will hopefully continue on whatever whatever the, like Obama achieved. This is just like a little. Just a detour in the path. Yeah, detour in the path forward. I mean, musically, when something seismic like this happens that affects so many people, do you guys feel like writing music? Do you feel like sort of creating and, I don't know, in a positive way, sort of like using that energy or that anger, however you feel about it, you know? I mean, some people feel positively about this turn of events, but I mean, is it something that where you guys would be like, oh, let's go create, like, let's write some music, let's either as an outlet or as a way to maybe speak to these issues? I don't know if individually or as a group we would do that. Having just put out a record, generally, I think by the time <laughs> right. you're done with that, you're like, I never want to see the inside of a studio. <laughs> conveniently, you could repurpose a lot of the lyrics from our last record to talk about the um, the, the state of uh, the American politics. But it's interesting that um, if I mean, music has always reflected 
um, social opinion or has historically. I think that right now, though, is a very like n- non-political um, time in in music, less so in other uh, media. But and I wouldn't say we're particularly no, we're political not. Uh, we're, we're not right. We've so I don't been, know that I don't know that we're a good example of a band like that would like be charged up at least creatively by by this. We're certainly charged up as people, but yeah. I don't know that it's like okay, let's get back in the studio tomorrow and and funnel it into the music. <laughs> yeah, right. but I I almost think that it's um like uh, it's it's off trend to be political in in music or something in a in a in a, in a bad way, in a negative way. Yeah, it's, like, it's like people, you're, you get kind of laughed out of the room if you are singing about isu- uh, political issues and like it almost seems too heavy handed or yeah, it's or like not cool or not. Or something. Beyonce pulls it off. Yeah, you know, obviously she's an exception, maybe not the rule. Yeah, I think so. Or do you think people are sort of like having a bit of a laugh? Mm. I think, but I feel no. Like I think that she she does it though in a and um. It's like almost covert. If that thing. is true, what you say, if if there is anything that can change people's like interest in political, yeah, I think politi- this could politically have a, related art. This will definitely this could have a push it, push it, yeah. Oh my god, my push it in that direction. <laughs> it is, however, I mean, hip hop, for example, has been traditionally a music of protest and. Um, I was actually I don't remember I don't I know virtually nothing about hip hop artists but um, that I'm exposed to so much more of it now because it has become much more mainstream and in vogue and if you separate out the the really poppy commercial side of hip hop you're still exposed to um, whatever like more people know now about Public Enemy and NWA and whatever than they would have let's say five years ago and um, the super powerful message that's in those songs, which are you know complaining about some major, major long-term issues for the black community of America, um, somehow um, have it, they're they're just the sound of entertainment for most people. And I think that actually, um, uh, uh, what my comment was going to be before is that pop or yeah, popular musicians used to be like whether it's Bob Dylan or the Beatles or whatever else. Like, were I mean, John Lennon was considered a dangerous person. By the F- by the CIA or whatever the FBI and because of how much power he had to sway people politically and I think at this point the um, artists and musicians have become more of a uh, it's it's more of general entertainment like you're not you're you can't exist as an artist unless you're also on Facebook and on Instagram and etc etc the music is part of increasingly more than ever part of like a almost an equally image-based product you know what I mean sure yeah and just like and and inside that uh, our principal job is to be entertaining as opposed to uh, to being (laughs) like political commentators and so but it doesn't mean that people don't end up feeling the zeitgeist of the time and I think perhaps you know the reason why music is so poppy is because there I mean this would be a this is a real stretch but maybe there's some truth to it is that if you look at how much people have felt disenfranchised by their governments, as evidenced by the election that just happened, right? The futility of speaking out in any which way because the establishment is so strong. Um, it's not surprising that, you know, pop music has been like, well, we're just going to ignore that and we're going to write songs about being in the club or, you know, like relationships. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but it is funny how that's changed. I mean, the 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 job that we have now is directly evolved from um, some uh, of the 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 bands that came out of the '60s that were all about social upheaval. Right. That's the music that we, one way or another, grew up on. Yeah. And it's maybe been sanitized a little. At this <laughs> Just a bit. Um, the pop landscape is actually really competitive you're talking about that and you guys have been super successful internationally I mean being a pop act what are things you sort of enjoy about being in that realm and then some of the maybe more negative aspects um the travel the lifestyle <laughs> no I think the Instagram it, there's positive or negative no those are for the most part it's both really, yeah right I yeah. mean it's no, kind I of find interesting that, I find that the, the needing to have a social media presence and that being like such a or, or, or just maintaining an image that has to be so pervasive into so many different mediums, yeah. medias, media, <laughs> media. Thank you. Um, I, th- I, it's it's amazing that you can have a, a voice in all these different places, but it, it's also I think a bit exhausting, and you feel a bit like I don't. I, well, for me at least, it's like I just. And we're of a generation where where we kind of. I think like people 10 years younger than us, the first thing they think of when they see something cool or they're doing something cool is how do I take a picture of this and, 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 and write some witty quip about it. You know, it's like ingrained in who they are. It's, you know, social media is they've grown up with and, and for us, we just kind of came in under the wire yeah yeah and so for us we really we really have to remind ourselves to be like okay let's set aside some time today to engage in that yeah engage in that yeah Yeah. they make a press release every day here (laughs) whereas whereas kids it's just second nature of course they just do it because it's part of who they are it's part of their social interaction and it's their identity and they're yeah. going to share and yeah. it's just part of their everyday yeah, so, so, so this is so a positive us, is what Joel's trying no. to say <laughs> for us it's a lot more work because we don't come by it naturally you right know? so that yeah. that that part is is a bit of a drag from, from sometimes it's fun no and I think that we have confidence in like I know you know I, I'm I'm a singer I can sing I have a nice voice and I can perform I can write songs all that stuff I have confidence in but then there's this whole other thing that's just like I didn't I didn't study this I'm not a professional at I didn't sign up for this PR and like I I actually you can tell right now I don't speak very well to people (laughs) I just stand on stage and do this thing that I know that I'm good at but the other stuff is just like I'm just making shit up and like is this is this how you do it yeah, is this now part of the role do I have to also be a <laughs> yeah. marketing manager yeah, and exactly. sort of I'm sell myself exactly. so um, effectively where it's like I just yeah, have to just, sing and write music yeah. and you can hire people to do that but it always comes across it's as, an, it feels inauthentic I feel like people yeah, can everyone can it. see that and feel yeah. that and it's not you can't you just can't do it mm-hmm. the upsides um, since we gotta, we gotta turn this around. No, no, no. Um, no, but the upsides to what we do in particular is for the most part, this media, this medium, medium. Um, which is our <laughs> version of pop music, has been a place where <clears throat> we've been able to try out over the last four albums pretty much any kind of song we want to write and, um, and how we want to execute it and how we want to produce it. And <clears throat> I think in some cases, the range is almost so broad that it's hard for people to like draw a line from like a song that sounds like a 1930s that tune um, get lucky to you know something that is kind of right on the quote cutting edge of what's happening in pop now or whatever but 
inside that, I think part of of the many of the many reasons that we're still doing this is because it is the place where, as musicians and as people who love music and love making music, is that um, we can try anything we want to do, and we learn a lot. Like even in the last six weeks that we've been rehearsing this tour, I was thinking, oh man, like I, there are times where I felt like I there's I'm there's nothing left for me to do in pop music. Like I play keyboards X uh, uh, like this well not I'm not going to get substantially better in this my ideas aren't going to be much different than where they are now um, but even with a bit of concentrated work we, we kind of rediscover the things that we like to do that we're good at the reasons why we're still making music um, that have nothing to do with whether people like it or not or how successful we're going to be or if we're trying to chase a, a hit that we had whether two four or five years ago or whatever and um, and it's uh, pop music has, uh, and this aspect of pop music is something that has had equally good and equally, let's say, negative results. Which is, um, there is so much music that is so broad in terms. Like I can't name five percent of the genres that are out there now, but um, we no longer have to fit inside a really narrow box. Like this is the first song you did. This is the kind of music you are. Make five albums that sound just like that, or whatever. Or ten songs on a record that sound just like that. Yeah. And but on the other hand, as a result, the the dilution um, of let's say the brand comes at risk at a time where there's so much music coming out all the time. It's um, it's hard to um, have a cohesive message, and therefore you know that's when all the commercialism and the the industry side of it comes into it. But it is a really it's. It's when you're making music and it feels like it's something that you like you are really connecting with. It's the fucking best feeling ever, and that's the one thing that I think um, we still get to do. It's probably the purest place. Maybe yeah. why you start making music in the first place, yeah. outside yeah. of everything else, when you can get to that spot. You were gonna say something, Joe? Oh no, I was just gonna. To, I was trying to to get back to the original question, which is you know the positive positives and negatives of of being a quote unquote successful band. And um, I, th I think for spe speaking for all of us, like traveling together is probably the biggest positive. You know, uh, negatives aside, the bet like it's just great to get out. Like once the record's done, get out on the road, visit some crazy places that you never would go to if it weren't for the fact that you're in this band that is successful enough to get you there. Meet all these interesting people, see all these interesting places, eat all this delicious food. You know, just the whole experience of. Of of being in a band outside of all the other stuff that you, you know, have to, you have to do. Yeah. Uh, that stuff's really fun. So the road hasn't gotten trying in that sense. It's still exciting no, to go on a tour. No, and we're pretty good about it, right? Like we we're going to go being on the road together. It's just it, I don't know. I, when I hear about bands that are like that are that are fighting or that. Don't yeah, you get hear like along or something. Or Lincoln like Park just, has oh. like six buses, and yeah. every member's on <laughs> yeah. a different bus or something. No, we. Um, I think it's like our most natural habitat. <laughs> being in transit on the road, in dressing rooms, on stage, in airports, in vehicles. Um, I don't know. Something really congeals, and and we just like assume this very well-worn and... And we all kind of want to do the same things, and yeah. so we, we, like, it's not like... We love each other. It's not like, it's yeah. not like we arrive in a city and everyone, like, fucks off to do their own, <laughs> like, insular thing. We actually, like, 
what do we do next? You still hang together. Yeah, yeah like, which is a lot of bands start right. Oh, we're friends, and then as it goes yeah. on and the years pass, yeah, <clears throat> eventually they kind of oh, this is my job. So it's like I'm not going to hang out with my co-workers. Just that we have yeah. trouble making friends, so we just have to hang out. <laughs> Nobody else wants to hang out with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's tough. Um, no, but it doesn't escape us. I think, um, at least for me, I know how lucky we are to be doing this job yeah. after this long. It's every time we get up in front of an audience, there's. <clears throat> I just um, it sounds so cliche but I have I'm so grateful for that I I started doing this so long ago so many people do it for a while and then for whatever reason can't keep at it and this is it's it's a big deal in this music climate to still be able to do this because there's nothing else really I want to do so yeah. I'm glad and whatever the <laughs> negatives are seem petty in comparison to the positives you know I yeah. think for all of us it's like you know, like, oh, so I have to, like, remember to, like, tweet something? Or, or <laughs> does people don't tweet anymore? Do I, I have to remember to put on Instagram? People don't tweet like that. anymore? Oh, that's, what? That's, that's they really, tweet. They tweet. That's really not, not Joel that. doesn't tweet anymore. Really no, you're out of the Twitter yeah, game. I am. Well, the, the social media thing is kind of interesting because I was reading the press release for Royal Blues, and it mentioned that Daniel and Martina had broken up and that that, in some ways, maybe fueled this record. Was there ever any thought about not sharing that information, or was it so sort of important to well, the story of the record? Every time we would do it, it's important to the story of the record, I think. But it's also important just as um, doing things like this, being a couple. It was the every interview was had the question in it: "What's it like to be oh, married?" So it was, and but it was like, story, it was so. like uncomfortably veiled in some indirect way you know like so the lyrics of uh, you know royal blues seem particularly uh, like a like a breakup yeah I didn't I, I, we didn't want it to be like this awkward thing where it's like we were talking to somebody when it's always been part of the story that we're t together and so to be sitting somewhere and have it just kind of like oh sorry we didn't tell you but and you're asking us this question <laughs> so I, it, it, it's it's in some ways it's weird to have to share that yeah, everybody but it's but it was always our personal relationship was always part of the conversation and so to all of a sudden take it off let make it off limits it seemed a bit unnatural mm -hmm. well there's something interesting I think uh, I can't imagine you know if someone goes through a breakup and then they write lyrics or they write music they might even hold back as like oh I don't want to hurt somebody were there times when you guys were creating this record where maybe you there were lyrics you didn't want to share or like did it make the dynamic was there yes. tension there Yes. No tension. <laughs> I, I had well, I never were was privy to those lyrics. I would get the edited the uh, we. You'd I mean, get the finished song, and, but it was difficult. But I don't know, I don't know how to write songs that aren't like the only way I know how to write music is to kind of like get a pickaxe and like jab down <laughs> into my deepest soul and bring whatever's there up, and yeah. so. <clears throat> I think not to sing about what was going on would have resulted in in probably nothing or something that is not worth listening to. Or did you guys? When you was there ever a thought of maybe not continuing on with the band? For sure. I don't think it was a it wasn't a conversation. I thought I think that we all individually were like probably wondering whether we could do it, but it wasn't like, hey, should we wrap this up? That was not a. That wasn't an outward conversation. It was probably an inward fear. Yeah, and and there's still many miles to go. Of course. With uh, with how how it uh, how the dynamic plays out. I mean, it the I think for 
for me and Martina, the um, traveling together, like doing the kind of crazy shit that we've done up until now, the weird shows and the absurd sleeping schedules and all that stuff. Like we had <coughs> intrinsically, we had each other to rely on, and I and Joel had to you know tough it out on his own. But I mean, but <laughs> um, but I think there was a dynamic there that now is is still in flux and. Um, Joel again has had to tough it out, and um, we always Aww, joke in, baby Joel. in interviews that my that my primary role is therapist, and it just so happens that I'm yeah drummer. right therapist. I have no opinion. <laughs> Joel is Switzerland. Yeah, no, but that's what a therapist does. They, yeah, I guess they so. let you they talk. Just, yeah, yeah they let so. you talk, and they don't have an opinion. But it is. I I have thought about it to, just to be totally frank. Is like I I had. Uh, I could have gone on the. I could have been on the road every day for my life. I love it. I love traveling. I lived in a bunch of different countries. I like the whole thing of it. But I felt very much like it was like, oh, I'm taking my family with me. I would always say like, I have wherever you are, Martina is where, like that's where my home is. And I think that in the in the if you take that away, touring and I I have thought about it before. I don't know how I'm going to feel about. Um, being so rootless, and uh, especially in in the in the shadow of how rooted it all felt before. Dan, are but you breaking up with us right now? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, but it's, it'll be an interesting dynamic. I think that it is. No, I've thought about that as well. It's it's, it's an unknown going forward. Yeah. Whereas that. Well, was the stability of it. There was inherent stability, and now we there is the, a question mark of whether it's going to feel as 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 much of as much at, whether we're going to feel as much at home on the road but we have little baby Joel in the lastly I was going to ask it, it's always interesting to me uh, when I talk to different people in bands at all levels of success it's like obviously you have to have a certain amount of talent you have to be very good at writing your music or whatever it is your craft whatever you do whether you're an a actor or director <laughs> yeah a lot of followers whether it's Instagram or Twitter how much of it do you think it's sort of luck and timing and how much of it is sort of just talent and sort of inherent uh, ability? I, I, There's a lot. This is 50-50, I think. We, we, we caught an amazing break with... Well, every music project that I've been involved in has had one lucky break that gives you enough... Um, Inertia? No, um, like I mean, it, it accelerates you to a point where you you get over maybe some of the worst humps, which is going from like zero to let's say one. So in the case of uh, this band, we um, we wrote one song that we sent to the guy who's now our manager, but had signed us my other band a long time ago to a record label, um, and I sent him this song asking him what do you think of this song? And I remember him saying, do you want to sell this song? I can get this song sold. And I was like, no, actually, I think I'd like to start a band with my new wife, and this is really cool. And he's like, all right, well, uh, do you want to open for Duran Duran and <laughs> go on a tour for, you know, play however many shows it was? I mean, I've, I've condensed that story a little bit, but effectively, of course. Like, yeah. you know, from zero to, holy fuck, like, this is what happens after, like, just writing a couple of songs in your basement. And from that, we got, like, a, a record deal in the UK and uh, which was simply because the guy who signed us was friends they had been A&R guys together on opposite sides of the Atlantic um, and Neil our manager sent Scott our record and Scott had just got a job as an A&R guy like that week the head of A&R for a new 
uh, rebranding of Mercury Records in the UK. And so Scott was like flush with money and wanted to sign bands from all over the world. And he's like, fuck it, I'll take this band on on two songs. And so all of that was luck. It was on a phone call to two songs and like not any touring. Two songs friend. and eight shows. <laughs> and just kind of get your stage legs as you go. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's not luck... <laughs> Like, I don't know what is the, but at the same time, we wouldn't have gotten there had we not, you know, delivered a relatively but, good song. Or yeah, really I think song. the song was interesting and unique and that wasn't the sound yeah. that was happening right now. It was something that felt a little bit future. And so I think that, that garnered um, some interest and some uh, future future's betting. But yeah, yeah the criteria play, changes a lot. Pl- plenty of examples of, of amazing talent that, that doesn't go anywhere because there's a lack of... Um, I don't know, luck or even just, you know, the ability to engage the right people to help you out. And it is, it's, you can't, you can't have one without the other, really. You know, I think you, you gotta have the songs to back it up. And the ambition so that when a door opens, you gotta walk through it. Exactly. But, but that when, yeah, the the door opening doesn't always happen or it doesn't always happen easily. You Mm kind of have to you know, create a scenario where the door might open for you and then when it does you gotta you gotta run through it. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome to the dessert. I am here with my friend and pop culture aficionado Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? Yo. Are we gonna address why Max isn't here? Yeah, let's no? do it. He was in the opening, which we recorded a few days ago. And then on that day, um I was feeling like, I don't know, unconfident or something, you know, like I was like shook or something. Yeah. Like I couldn't, I'm always like, anytime I come in here, a lot of times I don't have a set idea. I just have little like, uh, various topics I I write in my little book, but then I I had a bad experience where I, I actually like planned out a story really well. And then the Trump thing happened and it totally ruined my planning. Right. You know, when an experience happens, you get nervous when when that same ingredients are there okay so so for our listeners when max and i were recording uh this podcast like two days ago shane was supposed to come in and do his pop culture bit he came in we're like hey you ready to do this and you just were like i kind of froze like i had like a little panic and i just started like getting nervous around my friends which is a weird thing right and the reason this happened is because in the last episode the day we recorded it the day after trump was elected you came in with what you thought was a really fun and sort of like good story and you planned it Mm -hmm. but max and i were giving you nothing but sort of negative energy because of the trump thing so you felt shook i try bringing stuff up in the trump thing sometimes like ignorance can be funny you know so, yeah. so sometimes just as a conversation starter i'll try to say something that that sounds a certain way as almost like a gateway to conversation but then you guys weren't taking the bait so all that was left was just my ignorant comments and i know how people get about politics so then i had to ask for all my comments to be removed so i was kind of taken out of the first thing <laughs> anyway <laughs> i i was i was kind of shook so we had to do this a week after Max did his opening. So that's why Max isn't here. That's right. But now you're now it's just me and you. You're in a safe place, Shane. I've been trying to get find a way to get back on track. And then kind of like this like gift fell out of the sky <laughs> in the form of a, a, a movie premiere. Like there's this man I've been trying to track down literally for years. His name is uh, Frank D'Angelo. <laughs> you have been talking about this guy for a long time. So 
and it's more than I've been talking about him. I've been obsessed with him. This man, just to just to give a little background to the people listening, he is a millionaire. Uh, I guess he's a billionaire though. If you, if you go to net, uh, networth.com, he's actually a billionaire with a B. Is he an apple juice billionaire? He started with Napoli Foods. His dad owned Napoli Foods and then they sold that to Saputo. And then he parlayed that money into D'Angelo apple juice. Yeah. Which then he made Steelback Brewery, <laughs> which then he made Cheetah Energy Drinks, which then he used that money to fund like a late night talk show. And that was my first introduction to him. He has this kind of like cable access talk show where he's kind of like, if you've seen the movie Casino, he's kind of like Robert De Niro. Yeah, and is the deal like you buy like infomercial time, but then just have your own talk show, like a self-funded show. He's the producer of his own show. Yeah, and it's very fascinatingly strange. And I just couldn't stop watching. And then throughout every ad for his, on his talk show, are ads for D'Angelo Juice, Cheetah Energy Drinks, <laughs> and his movies. So, so this guy also makes movies. He's made five movies in the last three years. So yeah. he makes, and when I say movies, like he has Oscar-nominated actors, like former A-list actors. Well, I'll just go through the go list. Go through the list. He, he, okay, he has James Caan, Oscar winner Martin Landau, Oscar <laughs> nominee Eric Roberts, Paul Servino, <laughs> Mira Servino, Daniel Baldwin, Chris Christopherson, Michael Pear, he's from Eddie and the Cruisers, so uh, yeah, that's probably yeah. least fame. Margot Kidder, who played um, Super Lois Man. Lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Both Dor- Canadians. Doris Roberts, who's the mom from Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> Michael Madsen from Reservoir Dogs fame. And Daryl Hannah, who plays his wife in Sicilian Vampire, a movie where he plays an Italian <laughs> vampire. Who's also like Who gets the bitten mob. by a bat out of a banana box when he's going to eat bananas. <laughs> like, you would be so surprised how many people are obsessed with Frank D'Angelo. There was a big article about him on Grantland, Bill Simmons' old site. There's there's tons of articles, Mike. They're like written every day and like hilarious reviews about his movies. It's, uh, it's a lot like um, James Franco's doing a movie based on the guy who made the movie The Room. Yep. It's very similar to that, mixed with like a little bit of Foxcatcher. Like even Frank, like presumably paid an MMA fighter to... Uh, to kind of like lose in a match. Like yeah. he does strange things that are fascinating, but he's totally with it. He makes jokes like, you know, he's not nuts. He's just crazy in that good fun way. Down the street, literally a stone's throw from me, his, he's doing his Canadian premiere for his latest film. Like what are the odds of all the places? It's literally, I could hit the premiere venue with the stone. I know that theater. It's like around the corner from your the place. The Zoetic Theater in Hamilton. Yeah. I mean, maybe for our listeners, how does he get all of these sort of uh, notar- like notable actors? Well, that was one of the reasons why I went to the screening. I had my suspicions, <laughs> but I wanted... There's a Q&A after the film, presumably. Okay, for, okay, back it up. So you find out this guy's doing a premiere around the corner from your place. How do you secure tickets for this I, I sort just, of cult I buy figure? them a week in advance. But it turns out that uh, one of our friends having their bachelor party that night. A, fr- a friend of ours. We were, throwing a, we were throwing like a bachelor event for one of our friends who's getting married. Yes. But honestly, I would have missed your wedding to go to. <laughs> I seriously would have because I've been on the hunt. I've been on the hunt for this guy forever. You so, almost missed my wedding just because you were boozing the night before. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I rush home from work. The premiere is at seven. I just get in. Alex is wearing uh, all dressed up in a dress, wearing her fur coat. 
I'm all dressed up in dress clothes wearing my fur coat. <laughs> and I'm kidding. I want to a fur coat. But <laughs> we walk in, and I'm just wondering, is it going to be a pack theater? Are the celebrities going to be there? Is there a red carpet? Is there a red carpet? Is it going to be empty? Is Frank going to be there? Like, So as soon as I walk in, the theater is packed. It's a very big theater, too. So I wanted to sit at the front anyway. And luckily, the, there was only like uh, three seats available right at the front. Mm-hmm. We sit down. The movie starts. And then I look around. Everyone's in suits. And everyone looks like they're like his Italian buddies, like very respectful it's not a crowd like me, which is just fascinated lookers on, just wanting to see the spectacle of it. These guys are legitimate. They want to go to the cinema and have a night out for the premiere of this film. Yeah, but in my mind, I thought I could kind of whisper to my wife and we could kind of have a fun night out. But I'm like, oh shit, if I'm disrespectful, I'm going to get like whacked or something, <laughs> you know? Anyway, the movie ends. Standing O? No standing O. It's just kind of awkward. Everyone's confused. Smattering of applause. Frank gets on stage. No, a guy introduced him. He's like, there'll be a Q&A. People are called on stage. Frank gets on stage. A couple of the actors. Daniel Baldwin's actually there. All right. So I'm like an inch away from Daniel Baldwin. And he goes, all right, any questions? Waits two seconds. There's no questions. He goes, all right. Uh, uh, he gets kind of nervous. He goes, I'm going to pass it down through the cast and crew. But in that, I found out he shoots these two and a half hour movies in three days. Holy shit. With eight cameras. And the budget's between two and five million. So presumably he pays the A-listers like a 70 grand a day, day rate, shoots them in a few hours. They go home, movies wrap for them. And it's hugely beneficial for them because it's like four hours of their time to make 70 grand. And then he gets a movie and he can say James Conn's in it. Think only 70? I don't, I, I would, I would think so. Yeah. Just and travel expenses. For, like, so they four fly hours, them in. Fl- flies them down. Strange. The whole movie, you can't describe the experience. You'd like to think that the comedy is intentional, but it's definitely, probably not. <laughs> but I've got questions uh, f- for the Q&A. Anyway, I talked to Frank and he's in for being a guest, but now we got to do it or we're going to get whacked. Want to pick his brain on the, the process and really get down to the nitty gritty of how this f- guy does this shit and why. Like, he's obviously the star of all the movies. Yeah. But why Why does he want to star in all the movies? Is it just for the fame? Is he actually trying to make art house films? Is he doing like a thing like The Room? Like, is he kind of f- with us? I really want to know. So he writes these movies too, right? He he doesn't just write. He, he produces them. He writes them. He directs them. He scores the film. And all of his songs that aren't scored for the film, like if a song comes on the radio within the film, it'll be a Frank D'Angelo song. Got you. So this guy's a one-stop shop. We thought Max was an extreme narcissist. Like (laughs) this guy honestly takes the cake. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Want to thank Dragonette. Uh, You can find us on the internet. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Mike on much. Please subscribe to the show uh, on iTunes. Tell your friends about it. The more the merrier. A huge thank you to Jenna Gregory at jennasdoodles.com for providing the artwork. A shout out to Kristen Nicholas, our gal. She uh, arranged uh, a little fitting at Top Man, Top Shop. Uh, yeah. Who outfitted for, uh, us for this uh, little promo spot that we did. We look fly as hell, all because of uh, Kristen <laughs> and Top Man. So thank you for that. The Mike and Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.